know, there's some things I forgot to tell you guys, and they're really important. Number one, he hates bright lights. We know that. But you've got to keep him out of the sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep him away from water. Don't give him any water to drink. And whatever you do, don't give him a bath. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Welcome to Now Playing's Gremlins Retrospective Series. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Punish them. Hosted by Jacob, Stewart, and Arnie. Leave you people alone for five minutes, and what do I find when I get back? That's a chaos. This podcast will give you another reason to hate Christmas. Detailed plot spoilers and mild language and content. I warned you, but you didn't listen. And you see what happened. Listener discretion is advised. Come on, we're talking cable. Okay, Mac, let's take it from the top. Today we're discussing Remlins 2, The New Batch, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, John Glover, Robert Picardo, Christopher Lee, and directed by Joe Dante. Mister, welcome to the podcast. I sure hope you wash those hands. Stuart in L.A. This is Jacob, the host who does have a world's greatest lover coffee mug. I'm glad you enjoyed my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> my mug didn't say shit. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that as well. <laughs> well, at least it didn't say gremlins on it, because I can tell you, in 1990, I didn't want none of it. Man, That I was so burned at uh, uh, gremlins not living up to my horror expectations and it had not grown any kinder in the time since we were all kids when gremlins came out but were you guys still fans when they finally pulled it together six very long years later for gremlins 2 i was surprisingly anxious for gremlins 2 when it came out i'll admit that i hadn't really thought about gremlins much i'd watched it on vhs a lot but by 86 87 It had gone to the bottom of the pile. It probably turned up on TV from time to time. But when I heard they were making a sequel, I was surprisingly excited to return to the world of Gizmo and the Gremlins, and I went opening weekend. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Artie. It's not something I had thought about from 7 to, I guess I was 13 by this time in junior high. It might seem weird to be into Gremlins in junior high where you're trying to become an adult, but I was into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why not Gremlins? It was something that I loved as a kid. I was curious. I I don't know if I was there opening night, but I did see this uh, pretty soon after it came out. Well, here's the thing. By 1990, I had become a moviegoer. In 1984, I wanted to see Gremlins opening weekend, but couldn't get to it until the end of summer. Here, I just went to the movies every week. I mean, 1990 was a huge summer of movies, and new openings happened every week. It wasn't always like that. But, yes, starting around 1989... Every week of summer, they had some giant event movie opening. I did not see Gremlins opening day, but by the end of summer, I did see it at the Dollar Theater. I did see it in a theatrical setting for a discount price. I wasn't happy about it. I knew that if the first one had too much comedy, this one had gone even further in that direction. I think Joe Dante and Mike Fennell, the director and producer from Gremlins 1, they might have had the same feelings you did. Who wants to go back to Gremlins? They, you know, that was a surprise hit. $11 million budget did over $150 million. The studios wanted a sequel right away. They were just so burned out having a deal. Like, they talk about those Muppets and animatronics, like, 
they were war prisoners. They were just burned <laughs> out. They didn't they didn't want to have to deal with that again. So they said, give it to someone else, and it bounced around different ideas for the story. Nothing worked, and so finally, in I guess '89, they went back to Dante and said. Will you do this? And Dante said, only if I can do whatever I want. And they said, yes, you can. And so <laughs> here we are with Gremlins 2, the new batch. I think that's going to tell you a lot about the tone of this one. I mean, Dante said, this movie doesn't need a sequel. It's totally useless. This man is speaking my heart. It's weird that I'm on a podcast about sequels, but so many are pointless. And he's like, if I'm going to have to do a sequel, the pointless sequel, I'm going to mock the concept of sequels. And I did read one interview with him where he said of his entire oeuvre, which as I mentioned last podcast, I've seen most of, this is the film that he feels speaks his mind the most. Yeah, it definitely feels like what we heard in whispers in a scene or two in Gremlins now is coming through a megaphone constantly in this movie. This is a farce. This is a comedy. There's no way anyone could mistake this for a horror movie, right? It shows a sign of desperation, the tale you've just told, Jacob. To just give someone carte blanche and say, we want to take our hit movie and franchise it, so here, do whatever you want. I mean, we kind of talked about this with Superman. How can you take such a beloved hit franchise and just drive it right into the ground the way the Salkins did? Here, you've almost got the same thing, where I would think the studio would want to protect their investment and have Gizmo and the Gremlins return time and time again, because even if the movie just breaks even, you're going to make enough on trading cards and stuffed animals to make it worth it. But by giving him, in contract, he can do whatever he wants. Wow. Notice, we're doing this. We're not leading up to a theatrical release because he killed gremlins but good. Yeah, this was a big flop and could have been anticipated. I mean, his career after gremlins was nothing but a series of flops. Explorers, inner space, the burbs. I think he needed gremlins too as much as they wanted him to recapture the glory of gremlins. As Dante put it, Hardy, you said we're not doing a third one. As he put it, I spent a lot of time with Gremlins 2 to make sure there wasn't a Gremlins 3. <laughs> well, you say that, but we'll discuss it after we're done here. I, I, I do think that there is a real potential that we will return to this world, but maybe not anytime soon. And you know what? This was a flop at the time. This one has grown. This is, has an underground following now. This is really considered one of the most underrated films now, and a lot of people consider it better than the first, so it'll be interesting going into this seeing what how we take it now that you know all those expectations of teenage us's of what gremlins was and what this became how this turns out now i will say though again my perception changes because when this came out i'm like wow gremlins i remember liking that movie when i was a kid keep in mind i was 15 thinking about nine-year-old me but now we're like Man, they're rebooting Spider-Man. It's only been five years since the last one. So six years doesn't seem so long now as it did when this movie came out in 1990. Right. It was eternity. But it was coming out at a string. I mean, truthfully, maybe what I still hold against Gremlins was it opened that floodgate for all of those crappy Amblin movies to come. Like, maybe Gremlins wasn't a bad film, but boy, did it enable a lot of terrible films like Harry and the Hendersons or that one where it was the little flying hamburgers from outer space. Batteries not included. I mean, <laughs> truly. Come on. What about Critters and Ghoulies and the ones that tried to? 
B-horror, I But think. I'm talking, uh, Spielberg's name were on the ones I'm talking about. Explorers. I mean, again, I just, there were movies where this, this, the whole Spielberg brand had been sold and it just, it had tarnished him. Honestly, by 1990, I wasn't a Spielberg fan anymore. They needed to change the game because, truthfully, I don't think I could have taken another Dewey coming of age fantasy film from the Spielberg mold at this point. Jacob, I just have to ask, have you actually seen Critters or Ghoulies, or are you just prejudging? Because I have seen Critters, and I have seen Ghoulies, and I may make you watch both. (laughs) I tried watching, I can't remember which one, in third grade, I was over at a friend's house, and we rented either Critters or Ghoulies. My friend got so scared, we had to turn it off, he was like crying, so I've (laughs) seen like the first 20 minutes of one of those films. It's hard to imagine what could have that reaction. I know Leonardo DiCaprio's in one of the critters, so it, it could be fun to do one of those series, but scary is not something I think we'll be saying a lot about. Arnie, you got the plot? It's been many years since the gremlins terrorized Kingston Falls, and Billy and Kate are now engaged and have moved together to New York City, where they live in sin, and Billy is a landscape designer for Clamp Corporation. A combination, real estate development, cable company, science research shopping mall. Clamp has his eye on a Chinatown development, but the old man from the first movie refuses to sell. But he dies of a lung condition and Clamp demolishes the building with furry cute Mogwai Gizmo inside. Gizmo is found by Clamp employees and taken to the Clamp genetics lab, where he's discovered and rescued by Billy. But through a series of happenstance that I'm sure we'll discuss, Gizmo gets wet and new evil Mogwai have a late night snack at the Froyo bar, and once again gremlins are on the loose. They terrorize the high-tech high-rise, but cannot go outside while the sun is up. The gremlins discover the genetics labs, and a series of injections mutate the gremlins into a bat gremlin, a spider gremlin, a veggie gremlin, and more. Billy, Kate, and Gizmo team up with some of the Clamp honchos, including security head Forrester and CEO Daniel Clamp, to gather the gremlins in the building lobby, where the gremlins do a rousing musical number, and then intentionally get them wet with the help of returning racist Marie Futterman, and then use an electric gremlin to fry the entire batch. The city saved, Clamp gives Billy a promotion, though security head Forrester seems to have found love with one surviving... I think female gremlin as credits roll. So if the first movie went a little bit off the rails, <laughs> I can say right off the bat, this one is Looney Tunes. And I mean that very literally. It's Looney Tunes. It starts, I'm watching this with Marjorie, who's loved the first one, never seen the second one. And it starts with Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. And she's like, what is this? What bonus feature are you making me watch? She's lucky she didn't watch the bonus features because this goes on a lot longer in some deleted scenes. But yeah, this is a really strange way. Every time, you know, I don't, I don't watch this one as much as Gremlins. And every time it seems I put it on, I get caught off guard with this opening, this Looney Tunes opening. And again, this is just Dante saying, hey, this is the tone. My memory of this was that it started with Bugs Bunny. And I remembered being in theaters and thinking, why is this starting with Bugs Bunny? And... We talked last podcast about being embarrassed about things too childish. And when I saw a movie that opened with Bugs Bunny, 
I was thinking I was too old at 15 to see this, but my memory was it was Bugs Bunny standing next to the WB logo. I did not remember. It is a full animated sequence that segues directly into the opening credits. No wonder I was a little bit upset as a middle teen who was interested in girls and horror and sci-fi that I had paid full price tickets opening day to see Bugs and Daffy. This one totally took me out. I remembered it being that there was a cartoon beforehand, because that was coming back into vogue. There was, I believe, in front of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a Roger Rabbit short, and there were movies that were kid-friendly that had an animated introduction here, but yeah, I didn't remember that they were a part of this movie, that it literally was Bugs and Daffy introducing us to Gremlins 2. That was weird. Yeah, but I wasn't thinking that at the time, nor was I thinking that now. I mean, you're right. Who Framed Roger Rabbit did kind of set the stage for this kind of merging and making adults more appreciative of animation, but it goes on too long. I mean, it really feels like a bozo interlude. It was the 50th anniversary. I'm not sure what that earns you, but apparently it's uh, the intro to Gremlins 2. Dante himself would go on to work in the Looney Tunes world. He made that one with Brendan Fraser. Yeah, Chuck Jones doing the voices. He had a cameo in the first one. He's employing his friends. We're going to see a lot of cameos in this one, or he's just giving jobs to his friends. People he worked with on Inner Space and the Burbs. I noticed the guy from the Burbs. I saw him. He's very distinctive. I was like, hey, it's that guy. Never says a word, but... He gets his nose bitten off. I think Warner Brothers probably insisted on this, but it totally suits where Dante is taking the project. I may not have known it going into Gremlins 2 that it was Looney Tunes, but it might as well start here because it won't take long to get even crazier. Well, I was just happy when we're back on familiar ground in the real world. I had a note from last summer for this podcast. That opening shot where we're flying over the city and all that. <laughs> yep. Superman 4. Yep, stock footage. <laughs> it's cheap. Superman 4, a gift that keeps giving. So, you know we're starting off good if we're starting off with Superman 4 footage. (laughs) Hey, that's some of the best footage from the film. This film or Superman 4? No, from Superman 4. (laughs) I was like, come on now. Yeah, I didn't know they had a helicopter in Superman 4. I thought everything was on strings. But we do finally return to Chinatown. I didn't realize that Rand Peltzer came to New York. I didn't know that was the Chinatown. I didn't know quite where he was in that... I mean, it felt like he was someplace with Indiana Jones or the Hellraiser guys (laughs) with, with Chinatown when he bought Gizmo. But apparently it's New York. Right, and that's all a part of giving us a sequel, right? Bigger is better. If before we were in a small town, now we're going to be in the Big Apple. That's what I'd expect. You got to have a bigger setting to make a sequel seem worthwhile. And we see the old man. I guess the kids left him behind. He's now there alone with the Mogwai and his lung cancer from smoking on that pipe. Yeah, early question here. I mean, we set up what I believe to be the bad guys. They're the industrialists. Every 80s movie had some real estate developer, and they were always the person that you wanted to see defeated. Right here, we're introduced to Clamp. You know, he can't even be bothered to show up in person. He's got a TV set up in which he's going to try and convince Wing that he's got to be giving up his shop so that they can build some monstrous Chinatown center. Do you think that they might have had in their heads that they were going to have these people assassinate him? The fact that they're going to wait for lung cancer, natural causes to take him out. I thought that was weird. 
No, I mean, they wrote Clamp to be very childlike. They, originally, they did think him to be the villain. They realized he was so childlike, you couldn't really have him be a villain. He's kind of naive and goofy and just involved with all his technical toys. I don't think there was an assassination plot. I, I think that's part of the joke. Oh, we're just going to wait for you to die. We, we don't need to do anything nefarious. We'll wait six weeks. What if he were the picture of health? What if the grandson were running the show? Would they have really waited for him? I mean, you know what? Grandson would have sold. What am I saying? He yes. sold the Mogway <laughs> for 200 bucks. I can't get a dog for that price. <laughs> well, it was 1984. But, yeah, I mean, it does seem like the henchman, for lack of a better term, is going... I'm sorry, the land deal won't happen. <laughs> you know, it's like if he didn't sell, they just have to find a new Chinatown to build in. But yeah, I mean, it looks like our baddie here is Robert Picardo in a really big wig. That might have been his real hair back then. I mean, it uh, was I- not his real hair back then either. <laughs> I don't know. I, I won't say with any kind of confidence, but yes. I have seen this man's career. He's been bald since 80s. I mean, he wore a giant wig in Inner Space. Again, I didn't know Inner Space was a Joe Dante film, but he's wearing another one here. But they leave the TV behind, and it gets a wing to have another opportunity to chastise it as an invention for fools. We find out that Giz is still with him and really wishing that he could watch Rambo. I do find it weird. Is there some weird satellite going? Because you could only get Rambo through like HBO or Showtime <laughs> in 90, couldn't you? That wasn't on network TV. Oh, no. It was on uh, broadcast UHF by 90. Oh, okay. It would have been edited. But yeah, I'm just really feeling like this movie doesn't want me to watch it because I'm watching it at home on TV. Yeah, it's a theater, but it's a television by any other name. It's like fools watch television. All right, I'll turn you off right now. Thank you for insulting me, and have a nice day. Yes, but again, if he hadn't watched Rambo, he might not be able to save the day at the end of this movie. I do think that even though we aren't supposed to agree that television is a great influence, they know what audience they're playing to, and we were raised by the idiot box. We're not going to give it up now. But Gizmo has to give up his home because, yes, Wing does off-screen die of his emphysema and now the cranes have arrived to tear down the shop and i could tell immediately with this shot we are in a much better land of special effects when i see the crane coming through the roof and gizmo actually running not being carried out of the building but we see he has legs yeah rick baker is here now to do the special effects and that was one of the big things they wanted to do was make Gizmo walk. They they complained in that last film. They always had to find a backpack to throw him in or someone had to be carrying him. They wanted him to walk. They wanted him to be able to get around on his own. Yeah, really satisfying. I didn't realize that I needed to see that. But in the last one, he just felt like a creature that was, yeah, you just cuddled all the time. And here, yeah, he is actually running in sunlight. I don't know how he can actually run outside, bright light and all of that. But I sure do like the shot. But he doesn't get too far before Martin and Lewis... One of many, many golden age of television references we're going to get in this movie. Snap him up and take him back to the genetics lab. You know, I didn't catch the Martin and Lewis reference until you just made it overt right here. Really? <laughs> but I recognize the actors. They were in a lot of movies, most notably Terminator 2. Yeah, that's what I remembered them from. Whenever you need twins, you could call them. They did say, as, as far as the casting world goes, they are one of the few sets of working twins out there in Hollywood, apparently. Maybe that's why you recognize them there in so many films. Except for twins, ironically. But they were, according to IMDb, in Looney Tunes back in action. <laughs> <laughs> 
odd thing about this movie, Gremlins 2, is even though in many respects it is a rote sequel, which almost by the numbers does the same things. If the first movie opened in Chinatown, this movie's going to open in Chinatown. They really studied the last film and just kind of carbon copied it. The writing and the jokes and the vibe of this movie are so very different. I'm going to credit a lot of it to the fact that Chris Columbus is not the screenwriter of this one. They got a new guy here. Charles Haas, who would go on to work with Dante on Matinee, is here. And, and you just get the sense that they went crazy with the old-time references and jokes here. Oh, yeah. This whole film, I get a Mad Magazine vibe out of it mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. Good call. The names, just the wackiness that's going to go on, the parroting of other films, breaking the fourth wall. That original Gremlin script was pretty much a horror script, and they modified it as the production went on. This was never a horror script. This, like you said, Stuart, this is a farce. This is satire. This is comedy. This is never supposed to scare you. And there are so many broad-reaching targets. And I know this film came out in 1990, but man, it's got its claws right in what I consider the 80s, doesn't it? I mean, you've got this clamp who is nothing but a Donald Trump wannabe, John Glover, who, at this point in time, I would only have known from playing a cable exec in Scrooged as well. <laughs> Typecast there. Hey, they throw in some Ted Turner here, too. It's yeah. a mix of the two. It's, you know, when they get to the whole colorization of old movies, that was a big controversy that TNT Network, TBS, had perpetuated. They had taken It's a Wonderful Life and aired it colorized. And, boy, film fans were aghast at anyone that would have the audacity to try and say, the movie's better now because I colored in on the black and white here. And so we get those jokes, too. He's a cable executive like Ted Turner, but he's also a blowhard real estate developer like Donald Trump in a big tower. And like Rand Peltzer, and this being the sequel, going bigger, he's got a building full of gadgets that don't work. Yes. Zach Galligan should feel really at home because he's, yeah, in an office environment where revolving doors, desk drawers, everything, yes, it's supposed to be the height of technological advancement, but I don't think one single thing does what it's supposed to in this movie. It's like being back in the Peltzer home again. Okay, I gotta reveal this. All of this sci-fi doesn't feel so far-fetched to me anymore, because in the mid-2000s, I worked for one of the largest national banks in the country, and we moved to a new building that installed automatic revolving doors. I've seen those things. They never work. They didn't. People would get trapped in them and then start complaining and threatening to sue for claustrophobia (laughs) because they were trapped in these wedges. It was a security door. You would have to badge in. It would then have a sensor to sense if there was only one person in the partition. If there was more than one, it would eject you and not let you badge in again for 20 minutes. If you were carrying a bag above your waist... It thought it was a second person and would forcibly eject you from the door. So I'm seeing this revolving door and I am just remembering working for Goliath National Bank and being ejected forcibly and trapped inside their revolving door scheme. Yeah, there is, obviously, I have no real-world comparative to this, but this does feel like a really spot-on parody of what we were aspiring to do in the 1990s. You know, we're two years out from Die Hard, John Glover being in this movie, I'm thinking about the Nakatomi Plaza here. It, It is supposed to be Trump Towers, but yeah, already, we don't even need to meet Clamp to know how terrible his vision is for America. 
And one more real world comparison. When they showed this clamp tower, my initial reaction is I get this pit in my stomach because it's this black glass building. I'm like, is this the twin tower? Is this one of the twin towers that they're using as this clamp building? And it turns out it isn't. It's a building that just a couple months ago, I was in New York and I was staying a block from this building and I walked past it every single day as I went to Grand Central because that was the closest subway. Yeah, it's not as recognizable when it doesn't have the big clamp statue outside of it. No, that's in fact why I didn't recognize it until they showed me Grand Central. <laughs> yeah, a great insignia there. It's a big C that's like a vice crushing the earth. It's just squishing it as it rotates on its axis. I think that it is not brilliant satire but a much more sophisticated comedy i think than we got last time where i wasn't sure phoebe cates was meant to be funny talking about her dead father stuck in the chimney here i get the joke and often and if one doesn't work for me well there's five more coming my way in the next 10 seconds and they're really all over the map and this is one and probably the only logistics problem i'm going to have with this movie and it's This building is a little bit too much of everything. They want to satirize mall culture and genomics and office workers and Donald Trump and cable networks. I mean, they want to take UHF and an old 50s film and put it in a blender. And so this building makes no damn sense to me that all of this stuff would be in one building. It seems like a disaster. I think that's the humor of it. it I, I think they are mocking that consumerism that was big in the 80s. I mean, do, did you notice, like, on the second or third floor of this building, there's a U-Haul rental place in New York? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's funny to me. That I think that's the point. That, I thought that was a product placement, not a joke. It's both. I mean, yeah, the yogurt factory that they have here where people are still eating after midnight frozen yogurt. Even in 1990 when that stuff was big, I don't know if it was that popular, but that's a real... Oh, no, no. Penguins was huge. I remember waiting in line for that stuff. I mean, the funny thing is, though, they're debating, you know, are the peanut butter cups you're going to put on your yogurt, are they all natural and and healthy for you? (laughs) These days, they'd ask if it's gluten-free. Yes, people really did think frozen yogurt was good for them. That That is hysterical, but I had forgotten that detail. You know what? I like it. I like this as a vision now. I think when I saw this back in the theaters, I had arms crossed. I wasn't going to go with it. I was going to say, that's stupid. It is stupid, but in the best sort of way. I do appreciate the humor that some tycoon would try to essentially, yes, clamp the earth. Anything that could be produced, he's going to have his fingerprints on and stick it all in one building it's a reason again why i think we're supposed to hate clamp it's a real surprise later in the movie when we finally meet him and a positive surprise that he actually ends up being if not a heroic at least a a bumbling likable supporting character but i believe for the first half of this movie because this is this man's vision for chinatown and for the rest of the world that he's the one that must be stopped that he's the mrs deagle And that's, I think, my other complaint about this film is there is no villain here. Even the gremlins themselves, when we get to them, aren't villainous. Clamp should be set up as the human villain. We should have some people that we're happy to see taken out. Really, we're not. And we are introduced to so many people. You were, we were talking about the town last time and all the different townsfolk and, Jacob, you were saying you were being patient with it because we were being introduced to these people who were going to want to see die when the gremlins show up. Here, I went with it last time because, as I said, it has that Spielbergian little town vibe. Here, 
This opening is tedious to me. When we're in the genomics lab and seeing all the experiments and finding out Gizmo likes rock music and we're being shown the Froyo bar, this entire opening, and it's about a half hour before Billy and Gizmo are reunited, it's a long, long half hour. You guys are saying this is sophisticated humor. On the one hand, I'm laughing, but I'm laughing more as a nostalgic laugh. Like, I remember when this joke would be funny more than this joke actually <laughs> being funny. Wow, that's never good when your comedy is uh, nostalgic. No, it, it shouldn't be that way. But I want to point out, it's exactly the same amount of time that gets Billy and Giz together. I think it was 18 or 19 minutes in the original. Here it's 21 minutes. I was watching the counter. They uh, essentially are going to almost beat for beat emulate that first movie when we see billy he's running late like he was for the bank only now he works for clamp in the art department i guess that passing reference to his comic strip dreams has amounted to this and i did time these two together after i watched this one because i felt i see what you're saying arnie i felt the lag here i felt it let's get on with it you know my big time marker is when do we see the first gremlin appear that's when does the mayhem start and you're right, Stuart. They're almost the same beat for beat. Yeah. This one, even though I like the humor more here, yeah, it is so broad and it's all over the place. We're going to go to this Canadian-themed restaurant and have the chocolate mousse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you like an antler? Yeah. I, 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 You know, there's some joy here, but I don't think I enjoy it as much as Joe Dante does. I think that someone probably should have gotten to him and said, hey, you do know we are trying to make a Gremlins movie and not your he satire. He to make a Gremlins movie though i mean that's the whole thing i can see that it's very very (laughs) clear and yes like i said even though i'm watching the same movie it feels entirely different because of this tonal change and because of these indulgences and it does feel with the sequel you should get to the point quicker like now we're all waiting for gizmo to get wet and have some kids and then they eat after midnight like that's what we're waiting for just get to it and that's even though again i'm enjoying a lot of these jokes enjoying the satire let's get to the point to this time well i way i think they are getting to the point because they're going to try such crazy concepts with this that they need to set up a ton of characters and a ton of why. Why do you have Grandpa Munster running around on the set? <laughs> why are there going to be mutated gremlins? Why, why, why? And I think that's why this feels so draggy to me is it's so much exposition and they're trying to intersperse these jokes. But Stuart, in the last one, you compared the movie to a Muppet movie. I would say this one has gone full-on Muppet, but not a good Jim Henson was still alive Muppet movie, but like one of the later kind of, he's dead, but we're still going to try to pump air in this before Jason Segel <laughs> rescues us Muppet movies. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Not a 90s Muppet movie. Nobody likes those. You like Muppets in space is what this is going to. Oh, nobody. Nobody likes those. But I will say this. Your comparative is the Muppet movies. I'm going back to Chucky. You know, I was not a fan. Donors know. I was not a fan of Child's Play 1, 2, or 3. I felt like the movie found its groove when they went big and farcical. To me, this plays better now. I actually think that I'm enjoying the broadness of this. To me, this is Bride of Chucky. This is Seed of Chucky. Okay, it's not Seed of Chucky. It's not lewd. But it is... What, you don't want the scene with Gizmo's sperm? We don't, I don't want to sit through that debate. <laughs> there is a turkey baster in here, but it. I don't think that it had what chucky had in it (laughs) at any rate 
you can hear my thoughts on that over in our donation series. I think it's available for a couple more hours. Today only, when you sing Old Lang Syne, it's back in the vault. <laughs> but to me, I don't know. I'm with it. I, I'm sad to hear you saying that this is lesser. I mean, not to disparage the first movie, for me and what I want out of a goofy Gremlins movie, this is a lot better than the weird tonal shifts. I don't have the tonal problems that I did with the first movie in this movie. It's it's all the same from beginning middle to end it's all the same movie yes when you remove the science teacher and the new scientist is dr catheter you (laughs) know exactly what kind of movie you're in again i'm enjoying this i just feel it's dragging more this time i enjoying the jokes yes this is much more consistent in tone it's just let's get to the mayhem a little bit quicker i don't know why it needs to hit those same beats yeah i think they need to pick it up and really I think they need to satirize less. It needs to feel less absolutely random and maybe pick a few targets and do them well rather than feeling like we're in again. Yes, like I said in the last one, one of these scary movie, epic movie, we're going to just throw a whole bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks jokes. You know, I will say this. The one that I would cut is Grandpa. I don't understand why we're supposed to care. I see they build a character arc here. He's unhappy because Clamp doesn't like old movies, and that's all that he shows is black and white movies. So he's been relegated to a bad time slot, and he wanted to be a journalist, and he's been stuck being, you know, this goofy vampire. He'll get his shot, you know, he'll pair with a tourist, and he'll get to be a news reporter by the end of this movie. Why should we care about that? Honestly, there's a character that's just, it functions in the way that they wrote it, but it doesn't serve the entertainment factor. I've really cut this character completely out of the film. We just do not need him. And cut the cameraman. I mean, how many really bad Asian stereotypes does Genny Watanabe have to play in his lifetime? <laughs> Long duck dong. That's right. He's here. Use a camera. I am a camera. Yeah. It's uh, sad. It's sad. Very. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's... Wasn't that what like 90% of 80s films had, though? They had to have some Asian camera joke in there. Yes. I, I wouldn't say that this movie is breaking any new grounds as far as re-evaluating stereotypes here. Most of the comedy is very broad, but some of it's smarter, you know? I, I do kind of like the tension that comes with Marla. Zach Galligan is given a red-headed boss who vaguely... I, she's supposed to be Jessica Rabbit. I get the sense that they might have been going for that. I did get that vibe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, she's the one that's kind of coming in between his relationship. I think they could have played with that even more, but you needed to do something with these kids. If, in fact, Kate and Billy are still together, we need to have something that's making it harder for them as they're now living out their New York dreams. And I think it's very telling we've gotten this far into the podcast and not really talked about Kate and Billy, our heroes. (laughs) I mean, I want to talk about Marla because, real quick, I mean, were you guys a little shocked when she starts giving him, like, a foot job at the restaurant? Shocked? No. No, I I wasn't shocked. I didn't see that coming in a Gremlins film. I hadn't seen these films as body. For some reason, I remember lots of footsie scenes in the early 90s. Yeah, I agree. I, I took it as more innocent than it probably is, Arnie. I think you just... It was in his crotch. It wasn't footsie. It, it was taking me back to the scene of War of the Roses and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of who's Harry Crumb. I, I don't know. It, it's the footsies with the crotch. I, it's something I associate with early 90s, so it didn't seem too shocking. When I was a kid, it probably did seem a little bit more shocking. But, all right, beyond the foot sex... 
Billy and Kate, has there ever been a couple you've rooted for less in cinema? <laughs> well, I will say this. Kate is up in her comedy game. She's applying all her drop-dead Fred comedy <laughs> skills here, and she's going for it. I see her trying in a way she didn't in the last film. Enabled, I would say. Dante is pushing her to, to mock what she did. She gets, you know, obviously a, a parody of her famous Christmas dad death with president's day she gets to play it funny this time she mistakes the googly-eyed mogwai for gizmo and gets in a food fight because of it i i think that she does better here it, it's working for her who i'm not one over even now who i'm wondering if they wish they could have recast or gone without is billy I'm kind of in a different boat. I mean, I think Phoebe Cates, like everything else in this movie, is a little too over the top. Yes, she's using her drop-dead Fred skills. She would go from this to that, and neither one is a great comedic performance. <laughs> no, no, I, I said it in jest. I, tongue firmly in cheek there, I, but I'm appreciating the fact that she's she's going for it, whereas last time I felt like she didn't even have the confidence to create a character. And Billy in this one, I at least think he's a little bit more firm in his blandness. At least they've <laughs> given him a little bit of a dichotomy. Because of the Marla, it makes him a more interesting character because he's not comfortable telling Kate about it. And he's really an insecure character. He won't get married until he can get a promotion. He'll just live with her. Why buy the cow when you're getting the milk for free? <laughs> that a little foot on the side. <laughs> It's a small town good boy mentality. There's a nice kid, that Zach Galligan. Yeah, you know, it does feel like there should be small town kids getting swept up in the fast moving big city. It doesn't really come off that way, I guess. It, I do like Phoebe Cates, the broad comedy. It's working for me because, well, that's what's going to work in this movie is, is the goofiness. And Billy, I guess I would get more invested. In this love triangle, I, I don't care about him that much, though. And I don't think the movie does. No. We want to get to the gremlin. That's what this movie wants to get to. No, not too quickly, though. <laughs> not too quickly. It's got to set up everything, but that's going to be its focus once they come on screen. I don't think they've ever introduced a human character that truly matters. I mean, they function in ways, but I don't think anybody goes to a Gremlins movie because they want to see their stars. They want to see the puppets here. And so, yeah, we finally get Gizmo and popping out the evil Mogwai around the same time he did the last time. Only instead of Corey Feldman, it's a faulty uh, water fountain repairman. Damn you, Gomez Adams. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah. Yep. John Aston. Oh, I, do, I don't think I... He, he wasn't on screen long enough for me to even register that. Okay. I'd recognize that stash anywhere. But I gotta ask, last time we were saying that it's kind of the Peltzer's fault that the town got demolished because Rand bought Gizmo or half stole Gizmo and Billy wasn't responsible enough. Here... I kind of feel Gizmo is the cause of all problems. If that stupid Mogwai could have just stayed in the freaking drawer for an hour, the entire movie wouldn't have happened. He'd have been taken home, kept literally high and dry, and perfectly fine. 
he has been corrupted by television. He's got a short attention span. He can't just sit in a box anymore. <laughs> you still want to put it on Western culture, don't you, Jacob? <laughs> no, I'm with Arnie. The Mogwai's stupid. He really did ruin it for everyone. I mean, I do feel sorry for Gizmo. What kind of life does he have at the old man's place? Do you think he's ever let out of the box? What if the roof were to leak? <laughs> you know what, you know what, Arnie? You're probably right. Dante probably wants you to blame Gizmo for everything that goes wrong because they're going to spend a lot of time torturing him and they hated that damn furball from that first film so much. In that first film, there's a scene where the gremlins are throwing darts at him. This crew came up with that because they were so sick of this faulty animatronic thing. And so I think a lot of the humor here is we're going to take that cute little fuzzball and we're just going to torture him and treat him like garbage throughout this film. I can believe that. It really feels heavy on that. It's shocking how little cute moments there are. You know, there was that little, maybe it was only a couple minutes, but I felt like there was that passage of time where we saw a boy and his mogwai bond. And here, I barely get a look at Gizmo before, yeah, the other ones are locking him up in the air vent and then later they're going to press his face against the Xerox machine and the bright light's going to hurt him and they're going to Velcro torture him. I mean, Gizmo takes an awful lot of physical beating in this movie without ever getting a cute moment. And I think you've made me realize that's a big difference between the two movies is the last one, it may have taken 30 minutes to get to the Mogwai clan, but it was 30 minutes of discovery of Gizmo and revealing that character again, like E.T., and making us care about Gizmo. And here, yeah, the filmmakers don't want us to care about Gizmo, and that makes all the difference in the world. It's not E.T. They're not trying to do any kind of E.T. here. It's comedy all the time. But I am glad when he sprouts new Mogwai to see that they're not just changing the tone, they're changing the Mogwai. Yes, we have Stripe again. This time, he's Black Stripe. But we now have really goofy-looking Mogwai. We got a bucktooth hillbilly and a bug-eyed one. And this is how they got Rick Baker to do the special effects. He turned it down the first time, and he finally said, hey, if I could do something new with these creatures. And that's why we get a genetics factory and we'll see a lot of transformations later on. But Rick Baker said, if you're going to get me to do this, I'm going to come up with some new creatures and new looks and do new things with them. Yeah, but the Smohawk is so passe by 1990. I mean, come <laughs> on. That was cool in 84, Mr. T and all, but I pity the fool that tries to make that work in, in 1990. Uh, isn't that the joke, though? Hey, we're going to hit those same beats. The bad guy had a mohawk in the last one we're gonna do it again the way i take it is it's less obvious that anyone would mistake them for being like gizmo you know they're clearly mischievous by their physical design this time whereas last time you may not have known that they were bad until you saw them jumping around and whooping and hollering it, it came through more in their performance than it did in their physical look where it really comes into play where rick baker really gets to play is when they get back up to the genetics lab but even before that, I mean, we're getting quite a bit of variance, and I'm enjoying that. I, given the tone of this movie, I like the Mogwai and very quickly the Gremlins that we get out of this. I realize that this is going to be a live-action cartoon, so let's go all the way. Let's have googly eyes. Yeah, and I think even the effects 
they look more artificial this time. Mm-hmm. They're better. They look cuter. Well, at least Gizmo does. It's not as ratty looking as that fur in the last film, but they are more artificial looking. Yeah, I, I feel that's true. Not a knock on it, but yeah, they feel more like puppets this time. And I do enjoy their sort of freaking out when they're in the penguins and popping out of the toppings. I could have gone with a little bit more of this kind of mayhem earlier. It, it wouldn't have been a bad impulse to lose five minutes here and there of of some of the other jokes and just gotten to the jokes coming out of these evil mogwai. Or just imagine if, like, Billy had rescued Gizmo from the genetics lab without realizing they'd given Gizmo a bath. Yeah, you're right. And then you have it going in tandem. You can introduce us to all this. You can still have the exact same rescue plot while the mayhem begins. And Billy thinks he's rescued Gizmo before it happens, but it's too late. Just that one pacing tweak would enable us to get to these characters who are so much better than any of the human characters in the screen (laughs) so much faster and save me about 40 minutes of pain. What does Phoebe Cates want? I mean, I, it's so funny to me. Last time she was working in a bank and tending a bar and just kind of doing whatever. And here she's come all the way to New York just to put on that hat and be a tour guide here. I mean, Billy at least can say, I'm being paid to be an artist. But what does this woman even aspire to do? She wants to be Mrs. Billy Peltzer. That's why she's there. She's waiting for the engagement. Oh, wow. Yeah. How retro is that? Okay. (laughs) I know you're a modern man, Stuart, and you can't think (laughs) of women in those terms, but she's standing by her man. He got a job in the city. She will leave her bank job where she might have been an up-and-comer to be a tour guide to support her husband's career or future husband. Is that supposed to be a tension in their relationship? Is she supposed to want to go back to the small town? I don't think either wants to go back, but she wants a ring. You know, she wants him to put a ring on it. Yeah, she wants to be able to stay home and not have to wear that silly hat. I mean, she has been downgraded to the Corey Feldman role. He was dressed as a tree, and she's dressed as a building now in this film. (laughs) That must be, but I think it would be stronger if she did have those ties. Maybe if she was the one that invited the Futtermans and missed them, that saw that them coming was a good thing that reminded her of what she left behind here. But, boy, this is a shocker. The Futtermans came back yeah the first shocker you mean they're alive i didn't really pay attention to that voiceover at the end (laughs) yeah this is again it's a comedy no one died last time yeah i think that is part of the joke hey here's a sequel how can we bring people back Uh, you know how many horror films have we seen where someone dies and they show up later and none of the victims jacob oh yeah the killer does but (laughs) no when Susie gets the axe at the campground she doesn't come back next year and re-enlist no no there is Dewey from Scream. (laughs) Okay. The exception to prove the rule. (laughs) But about 45 minutes into the movie, roughly the same amount of time, cocoons have formed and are being hatched, and we're finally getting our gremlins. And this time, they're going to make it all the way up to Splice of Life and become something different. This is where I really notice the difference in the Rick Baker designs. He has a field day coming up with all the different ways that gremlins can be mutated. Yeah, they had a lot of ideas that never even made it on the screen. They were going to do elephant gremlins. and But yeah, we see a lot of difference. They're just genetic material going on, shooting each other up. We get our brain gremlins. and I love this concept. I mean, it really is 
a way to iterate and expand upon the gremlins so we're not just seeing what we saw before with better and more unique looking puppets. I mean, I remember being at 15, finding the spider gremlin to actually be creepy. I don't know why now that I'm much, much older. <laughs> I think I still was having residual flashbacks to Jeff Goldblum and the fly. And anytime I see something turn into an insect, I'd freak the hell out. But <laughs> the bat one, the... All the different ones. Some work better than others. I would say the weakest is the animated cartoon Electric Gremlin. And I'd say the strongest is Brain, who gets to become like a Fraser Crane Gremlin who was around. He was on Cheers, but he was around in 1990. Question, what happened to Stripe? Is he Brain? No, Stripe is busy torturing Gizmo most of the time. He becomes the spider gremlin later on. Oh, he's the spider one. I lost track of him. I saw him prong out. When he finally first comes out of the cocoon, you know who Spike is because they're more like, you know, fins or something like that. You'd see on a marlin. But then I wasn't sure what happened to him. He was supposed to be the leader, and Brain clearly becomes the leader here. I thought it might have been him, but I... I couldn't tell. Yeah, even the the original batch of Mogwais that become gremlins, they they never, watching the deleted scenes, they never genetically mutate to anything else, and they kind of just go away. They they put so much work into giving them distinctive looks, but really all these other gremlins take over the show because, well, they get to do more creative things. Yeah, it's more fun to watch something new than to watch the same old gremlins we saw the last movie. And yeah, I, I want to see what Brain's cooking up here. We finally have one that can talk. He ends up conversing with Grandpa and sort of explaining what, what they're wanting here. Is that an Aussie accent that he's doing? No, I think he's just trying to sound highfalutin. It's Tony Randall. Yeah. yeah. It had a little twang in it. I, I thought maybe they were going for... I thought it was Harvard. You know, that... that yeah, he would, of... no, that's what he, exactly what he was going for. He's going trying to go for that, you know, stereotypical intellectual ivory college voice. Oh, okay. Well... Nah, I'm not sure it totally worked. That's what I got from it. I, I got New England, Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, Stanford kind of voice going on. But I kind of like the Gremlin mayhem here, even though what it is doing is poking fun at cable channels that I really think I may subscribe to today. I know I have a golf channel. I might have an archery channel. <laughs> yeah, that's the joke is that the, these were jokes back then. It's a reality now. I'm sure there is an archery channel somewhere. And the microwave with Marge show, I mean, that's not too far off either. And I had to do more microwave research for this because they put pots and pans in a microwave and it explodes like a bomb. Haven't we all been told this to never put metal in the microwave? It, it's true. You don't want to put metal in a microwave. Here's here's my research and our PSA for today. Did you watch some YouTube videos on this? No, I just, again, Googled. I didn't try it. <laughs> it may, if you're lucky, arc and show the lightning effect like you have in this movie. But then all that's going to do is poke holes in your microwave, allowing the radiation to leak out, which could have toxic effects over long-term exposure to radiation. Or not even radiation, but microwaves. So you may not want to have kids if you do this. And also... It will just break your microwave. It will not explode like a bomb. In a worst case scenario, it might start a small fire. Yeah, well, but this a joke. Come on. Yeah, this this is the what we wanted to see. I mean, this is a callback, one of many to the original film where they're really poking fun at it. I mean, if if the microwave death was so graphic and memorable here that they're going to get their revenge by blowing it up, I thought it was perfect. 
Yeah, even the googly-eyed gremlin, when Kate mistakes it for Gizmo and takes it back to her place, he pushes a blender off the kitchen table. Yeah, they they have fun with this. <laughs> they have muscle memory of their former... <laughs> yes. it do- Here's the thing, it doesn't make any damn sense, but come on, we got Leonard Malton showing yes. up. Exactly. Now, this is a funny joke. I love the Leonard Malton joke because I used to buy Leonard Malton's guide. I remember the review he gave Gremlins. Yeah, that's the joke is that he trashed the original ones. They bring him back to, again, it makes no sense. We're watching Gremlins. He's reviewing the Gremlins movie. And, of course, they attack and kill him for trashing it. This is not the biggest time they break the fourth wall. I mean, literally, at a certain point in this movie, they're going to tear through the film stock itself. What is being projected for you, if you were watching this in 1990, in a movie theater, blitz apart and suddenly they're shadow puppets. The Gremlins totally break it down. I mean, they couldn't get more postmodern. I'll tell you, I'm watching this in a theater and the film starts to melt and bubble, I had been in theaters where the film had melted and bubbled. I actually got my drink and stood up before the hand puppet started. That's funny because the executives were afraid of that reaction. They were so afraid people would walk out thinking the film had broken down. I thought it was time to go home. I thought, shit, they screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, I was at the dollar theater. I know they're capable of that. And I didn't even think I'd get my dollar back. Arnie, you said with Gremlins, you'd watch that on TV and notice some new scenes added. I don't know if you ever watched this one on TV. I haven't seen this cut myself, but they talked about they actually did a TV cut. So instead of the film breaking, they mess with the tracking and they do a TV studio thing instead of a movie theater just for television. I watched this bonus feature on the Blu-ray. And yeah, instead of Hulk Hogan threatening the Gremlins, come on, Gremster, or you're going to have to face Hulkster. Yeah, okay. I loved that when I was 13. Uh, I might have loved it when I was 9, but at 15 it was not working. Does anyone even know who Hulk Hogan is anymore? I mean... Yeah, he's that reality star on MTV. Santa with muscles! (laughs) Yes, the classic Santa with muscles and suburban commando. I forget about his, his illustrious... I think he did one of those Three Ninjas movies as well. But I may be misremembering, but I am pretty positive i got this on vhs and it had the hulk hogan scene i never until it was on blu-ray saw this supposed vhs cut where they mess with the tracking and then instead of hulk hogan they actually they pulled the west craven shocker joke of gremlins going into various tv shows including bugs bunny cartoons yes. and john wayne movies and then jo- a very poor sound alike for john wayne tells them he was dead yes he is dead <laughs> and he wouldn't be doing gremlins too if he were alive but they did get permission from his son to do this <laughs> yes they wrote his son a check to do this <laughs> yes exactly it's kind of like grandson selling the mogwai out i don't think mr <laughs> wang would have liked this i don't think john wayne would have liked this but it was done to him but yeah they did that instead I actually like a lot of the jokes in the theatrical cut far better, but I don't remember this VHS cut at all. I only watched it once or twice on VHS, but yeah, I may have gotten some weird miscut VHS version when it first came out. I actually like this theater one. My favorite joke is that they brought back that Harris mother again, and she's got new kids. In the seven years, she's had more spawn and taking them out to the lobby to complain about what's happening to her viewing experience. Is that the one who was losing her house last time? Yeah, yeah. I did not even catch that. (laughs) 
And that was there to mock an actual mother who complained to Dante about the microwave and blender scenes in the first one. Yeah, I, I, I'm going with it. I don't think Hulk Hogan is as funny as Hulk Hogan thinks he no. is. But the scene, it is what this movie is. They have broken the fourth wall. This is movie entirely about gremlins mocking our pop culture. It couldn't be more explicit at this point. And I'm happy that they get back into the film and, and go through the semblance of the rest of this plot. But come on. The rest of this movie is largely understood as a string of gags and not as a story unfolding. I don't even know if there's a threat of a plot going on here. <laughs> this, I, I guess they're trying to get rid of the gremlins. The gremlins are hanging around waiting till night so they can attack New York. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. But no, this is all about the jokes. And you could go with that or that could lose you. I mean, this now it's humor. This is a comedy. You know, is it funny when the bat gremlin flies out the window and there's the Warner Brothers bat symbol in the glass? Well, I'll say no, that is not funny. I'll second that. It might have been funny in 1990, but... And I'm right there with you. What I'm happy about is that they throw so many gags, because not all of these work. Some are horribly dated. Right. I mean, I do like Christopher Lee walking in with a pod as a homage to the pod people in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Again, it's all hit or miss. This is Mad Magazine to me. This is when I'd read Mad Magazine doing a parody of a film. This is what I enjoyed. So, yeah, not every joke's going to work, but a lot of them do for me. I do like Christopher Lee in this movie we haven't talked about him much his overly arch performance it's like he went from the high of the hammer horror to the low of captain america 2 death too soon and was coming back out on the other side and realized that he could lampoon his old performances and make a career out of being that kind of evil and here he's not necessarily evil there's really nothing evil in this movie i came in remembering he was an evil mad scientist and really he's not he's just a little stern at worst but he's really kind of funny here with all of his line deliveries like he's still back in a hammer film it's strange to me that they have a character going around in a Dracula outfit, and it's not Christopher Lee. He's doing another <laughs> joke here. Yeah, I might have liked Grandpa better if Christopher Lee had done it, but no, this is the part for him. And I agree, the sadness is that he doesn't hang around that long. I would have been happy with him helping out at the end, but no, he gets fried by the electric gremlin, I think. And he got a few laughs in there, but I could have stand to have him more in the picture. You know, you talk about the Dracula jokes... The jokes that really click for me are the New York jokes, especially the late 80s. When they're doing Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> acid do not throw in face. And of course, this would be around the time Andrew Lloyd Webber owned Broadway. I'm really finding those to be amusing. I like the joke when the bat gremlin does get outside and attacks Futterman. Nobody wants to get involved. People are pushing their way past. You know, it's a classic joke about, you know, people from New York being gruff and uncaring but i think it plays very well and yeah i do like that the bat gremlin turns into a gargoyle i would have preferred the chrysler building to the church but i'll take what i can get yeah a church that isn't in new york yeah obviously the actors were nowhere near it either and this is where <laughs> i realized that murray futterman had been convinced uh, that the original gremlin stack was all in his head he had been to some shrink it was mentioned that he gets anxious this confirms to him that it was real and this actually enables him to be uh, a character in the end he'll end up sneaking into the building and helping out at the end it's sort of a strange choice but i'm glad they gave him more to do than this bit on the street 
Yeah, Billy may not have a character arc here, Mm-mm. but the xenophobic redneck does. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that's the character that, yeah, I mean, I can't even remember a scene with him in it other than a, a Marathon Man parody. He walks into a room, he thinks he hears Gizmo, gets conked on the head and wakes up in a dentist chair with googly eyes saying, is it safe? Well, I don't know if that's funny or not, but if that's your defining moment in your star vehicle, you don't have much of a star career ahead of you. Yeah, and once again, Billy's robbed from saving the day from the main bad gremlin. Gizmo steps in, finally. Yep, he's got got the headband on, and he's ready to be Rambo. Although, again, I don't feel like he's a big part in this movie either, at least not the cuteness of him. I don't think he's had a a lot of time where he didn't connotate trauma to me. I, I realize, I recognize how important it is that we needed to like him when we see him here at the end, and we just haven't had those moments up until this point. Well, he may get his revenge on Stripe here with the flaming arrow and the Rambo moment, but I will say that this time they do a better job of making everybody a vital part of the climax. I mean, Gizmo takes care of Stripe, and then Gizmo is literally put in a bag and not seen again. There's still all these gremlins in the lobby. And it reminds me back when we did the superhero movies like Fantastic Four, when you have all these characters, everyone needs to do something that in some way helps overpower them. Well, Billy has the idea. He doesn't do anything, but he has the idea. Futterman gets the hose. <laughs> yeah, and Clamp gets to go out the building. I really enjoyed this character. I think they did, too. John Glover is having so much fun that I don't think they could have made him a villain even if he were written that way. He's just... We get another gory death rather than throwing him in the Cuisinart or the microwave. This time, he's the one to put it through the paper shredder. I really like that, You know, particularly since he didn't know how to use his own office equipment. I like that. I like that they have a VHS tape for the end of the world. It's their last (laughs) sign-off. This is based on, there's an actual network that has this. Really? The network freaked out that someone had found out about it. They did this as a total joke, and then later found out this network freaked out that someone had (laughs) leaked that they had an end of the world tape. That's very similar, they claim. Oh, wow. I wonder. I would love to see everyone's end of the world tape. Maybe they could do that (laughs) as a day where everyone would just play it. Hopefully not on the actual end of the world. (laughs) Yes. What, what, What little message can they play to make you feel better as we hurtle into the sun? Right. And what's funny about it, of course, is the world isn't ending. Most people wouldn't even know anything was wrong. But to this guy, it is because his building has been taken over. The one special effect I cannot figure out how they did is how they got a sidewalk in New York to have a port that rose up out of the ground. Because that's a real sidewalk. That's a location shoot. I don't know how they did that. Real easy. It's a manhole. And they just had a crane pulling that up. Ah, Got me. Simple. Got me. (laughs) It does look impressive, though. It does look like it's actually coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that the first plan doesn't go well, either. I mean, originally, it seemed so simple. Yeah, a wrecked uh, scrim in front of the lobby window. They'll think it's night. We've changed the clocks. They'll walk out, and they'll be in 4.30 daylight rather than 7.30 nighttime, and they'll melt. Easy enough, except we got a rainstorm coming. I do find it funny that they feel the need to change the clocks. Like, the gremlins really pay attention to the time. I guess they did pull the clock in the first one, so I guess they can read time. And and Stripe was able to read candy in the window. I guess they are literate. 
Yeah, and I mean, come on, they could have all inject themselves with the sunblock anyway and, and leave whenever they wanted. It's not about asking these kinds of questions, folks. I just like the fact that there is a plot in motion, it collapses, and they have to improvise here. I really don't know how they're going to get them all when they're all piling in the lobby for the musical number and racing out into the New York streets. I actually think they might do that. I actually think we might get a street battle. I had forgotten that Electric Gremlin was still on hold listening to raindrops keep falling on my head. This dance number is when I broke. This is the end of my patience, and I'm so glad Electric Gremlin came out of hold music and fried them all, because I just, they'd gone too far into, again, this felt like the Muppet movie. When they're coming out of all those little pockets of a sign it felt like the opening of the muppet show when every muppet had his own little hole i just couldn't take this broadway number and was so happy to see them all die i totally did get the muppet vibe here but i like that it's again this perverse muppet vibe it's you know these ugly creatures and they can't even talk they're just making these ghoulish sounds i do think it goes on a little too long Mm -hmm. but i i like that it jumps around maybe it would have worked better if it was just one music number but it jumps around they're doing the cha-cha it feels like this again this grotesque it's a small world after all maybe that's grotesque enough if you've ever been on that ride and stuck listening to that song but again yeah it does go on a little bit too long i like what they're going for they just needed to cut a few minutes from it and it may just be if they'd done something a little bit more of the time if they were doing something from cats but you didn't like when they were breakdancing but i was enjoying their lampooning of broadway with fans of if they did a lloyd weber bit then i might have gone with it a little more but this one i couldn't believe how many verses brain was singing there no, I don't think that they were doing Weber's Phantom. I think that they were doing the 1925 Phantom. I think Joe Dante is living out all of his childhood early cinema movie moments with, with the actors and the callbacks. The problem may be that he's making satire for a generation that doesn't know what he's talking about. But they do know Wizard of Oz. They would have gotten that melting bit. But a lot of this probably went over people's heads. They did do a nice rosebud joke that got cut out with one of them with oh, a sled. Yeah, Citizen Kane. We all loved that yes. when we were 12. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of the old movie references, but yeah, they just weren't playing. And it seemed out of place to be lampooning old movies like Wizard of Oz when your primary targets of satire appear to be 80s and very early 90s corporate and consumer culture down to clamp looking at gizmo and going we could put suction cups on him and have him staring out car windows that. which they <laughs> did they did they did they they knew i agree i like this clamp and i i've enjoyed him being the object of satire but i also think he's been actually the most enjoyable character to watch of all the humans He's the one I'm smiling about at the end as everyone gets their happy ending moment. I actually think he deserves someone better than Marla. But yeah, they're going to have a romance and Murray's reunited with his wife. And Hey, Marla gives good toe. <laughs> Billy got the promotion, so now I guess it's going to be a wedding. And, you know, even Forrester, a character who we've largely forgotten about, is getting it on in the executive bathroom with the female gremlin. Is that a female or is that a transvestite? Because I always thought that they were all male. I mean, they're asexual anyway. I really got some gross sodomy vibes off that whole thing. Whoa! (laughs) 
I I did get the feeling from the commentary that it was supposed to be a transvestite gremlin. As a 13-year-old, I read it as a female, but the way they were talking, they wouldn't come out and say it, but yeah, I did get that vibe from how they were talking about it. Well, I will say only this, that it was a running gag in Looney Tunes that Bugs Bunny would put on lipstick and a dress and play this role. And this gremlin here, this female, I'll call it, but it feels very much like it's a Bugs Bunny version of a woman here. It doesn't feel entirely natural when it's coming in for its close-up kiss. But we got to finish out here with Looney Tunes in case we've forgotten. Oh, God, yeah. Daffy's back, and by the end of it, fighting with Porky Pig? I had my fill of cartoonish comedy at this point, and Daffy, I can only take so much of anyway, so by the end of it, he'd worn out his welcome in my mind. But lest we wear out our welcome, Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend Gremlins 2, the new batch? Jacob. I totally get why people freaked out when this was released. This is, if you were thinking cute gizmo and... You know, gremlins in the microwave and horror with some comedy thrown in. No, this isn't your film. This is a farce. This is a comedy. This is full-on satire. We're going to lampoon everyone and everything, and we're going broad and big here that with the special effects, with, you know, the number of gremlins, everything here. It, it's a sequel. It's bigger. Dante is actively aware of what happens in a sequel and you know what he's actively aware of what he didn't like about that gremlins film about producing it with the problems with gizmo and that and so yeah we have an anti-gremlins gremlins film almost in this movie here i could see why it's so i'm gonna say misunderstood because i think this is an underrated film it's so different from what came before it i totally get why people might be turned off especially if you're young if you grew up if you're a child when you saw that first one and now you're a teenager and you see this I I totally get it. If you're in that boat, I say go back and watch this. It's a fun film. I'm laughing. I'm going with it. There are so many jokes. If one doesn't work, the next one probably will. So yeah, this is a, another strong recommend for me. I don't know which one I like more because they are two completely different films. But I appreciate each one for what it is. And yeah, strong recommend for Gremlins 2, the new batch. Stewart. Look, I didn't hold the first one in such high regards. I'm not mortified that they've done this to a childhood favorite here. I'm for it. Much like Chucky, where I didn't like the more serious tone, or at least didn't think it played out the way that they planned it, I think that, yeah, it's okay to go big. It's okay to go cartoon here. I think that, like Bride of Chucky, Gremlins 2 is a better sequel than its original. I just think that it suits what Dante is as a filmmaker here. He can be who he is without trying to couch it in a slasher scenario that it only half wanted to commit to in that first movie. This, to me, like, if your kids are too young to see Robocop and Total Recall and get that Vorhoven satire vibe going here, take them to see this. I think it's got a real punch to it that will have... Kids laughing at certain jokes, adults laughing at others. I don't think it's brilliance, but I think it works. And I think that, yeah, it's a solid recommend for me. I'm probably going to surprise people by recommending this film, because I've been pretty hard on it, and I feel deservedly so. It's a weak recommend, but I'm going to recommend this, because, yeah, there are some jokes here that I find very funny. I don't think this is going to play to anyone who was not of a cognizant age, at least 10, when this movie came out in 90. You've got to know these 80s lampooning topics. But when I watch this, 
even though I feel that a lot of it doesn't work, I feel the first half hour really drags down. And had they fixed the pacing of the first half hour, I might have gone with a lot more. But the zany, madcap, random humor, it actually works for me. It reminds me, in some ways, of RoboCop 2, which came out that same year and we're going to be talking about in just a few weeks. And... Also a little bit of Max Headroom, the way it was lampooning media culture in the late 80s. The Max Headroom TV show, not the Pepsi ads. And a lot of other things of the time. And in that way, this feels like as much of a time capsule to me as Back to the Future 2 does. So I find there's enjoyment here, but not a ton. It's it's a weaker recommend, but yeah, I enjoyed going back to it. I clearly find the first one to be far, far superior. The first one has Spielberg's fingerprints all over it. This one, I think Spielberg was busy with his own stuff and was like probably producing so much through Amblin at that point that he couldn't be bothered with this. What really scares me is Kathleen Kennedy's name is on this as a producer and she's doing episode seven. <laughs> Get ready to yuck it up. <laughs> I doubt that this is a model for anything that she might do in Star Wars. But you know what? Yeah, things are coming back. If the Muppets can come back as they did two years ago, I gotta ask the question. Can Gremlins come back? Is there a Gremlins 3? And should they try? I mean, do you want it? I did research this before we started these podcasts because I didn't want to be doing Gremlins and then just have a year go by and all of a sudden, hey, there's the Gremlins reboot. I don't think there will ever be a Gremlins 3. I think that while we gave Gremlins 2 three recommends, my feeling is that it's not a beloved film that people want to see continued. They don't want to see the continuing story of Billy and Gizmo. I could see a reboot, be it hard or soft, Gizmo being found by a totally new group of people and having a new Gremlin adventure. And I think they'd just probably call it Gremlins and remake it in that way. But if they were going to do it, I think they'd be doing it in 2014 for the 30th anniversary. At least that would be what they're gunning for. And they were talking about it, but apparently there's some contract disputes and Spielberg is being very finicky about who would make it and the type of film they would make. And he's very protective of the original film. Maybe not the sequel so much. So if they were to redo it, God, all CGI gizmo and gremlins, I'd be willing to do it if they did something vastly different with the remake and it wasn't just a carry type remake i don't think that's needed for gremlins but if it's going to be a slavish retelling then now nah, i'd just stick with the 1984 version no i don't think there's any way they would do a slavish retelling with the cgi i mean we would have gizmo running around not in a backpack the whole time yoda style i, I think it would be a very different movie and my question is to myself what kind of movie would I want it to be? I, you know, I, I'm afraid that if it was made today as a comedy, unless you got the right director, right writer, it, it's going to be like those movies you were saying, Arnie, the epic movies and scary movies. I don't want that. So maybe a harder horror movie. I don't know how far they would be willing to go with that either, though. You know, that first film that was kind of groundbreaking with the violence that they put into a PG film and they, 
ticked a lot of parents off and I just don't see them willing to do that. So I don't know. I just don't see them being able to do the film I would want. So I'm hesitant there if they should even bother redoing it. I don't think they'd remake the 84 one, but I just, I think they try to make something that would please a certain demographic. And I don't know if they necessarily did that with the first two. They kind of just did their own thing and they became what they were because they stuck to that idea that they had. You know, and I'm going to say as evidence of what you're implying, Jacob, look at what they did with the Smurfs. I just think that that's what they would do. If Gremlins came back, it would just be Smurfs, but with Mogwai. I just, let's not do it. You know, obviously, it doesn't mean that much to me one way or the other. I've been kind of indifferent to this Gremlins return, but... Would you say you've been ambivalent? <laughs> well put, yeah. Ambivalent is exactly what I've been. But, you know, it shouldn't be that hard to duplicate what they had in the original. They could do it. If they made a direct sequel, why do I think they'd go to the home world and we'd see where all the gremlins came from and they'd work on the mythology a lot more, but... Which actually might be space. That was one of the ideas for a sequel, is Gremlins mm. in Space. Yeah, I do feel like at some point there is a spaceship going to fly down and, <laughs> and, and rectify why these creatures are, were ever on Earth. They couldn't have evolved here. If they come from E.T.'s plant world. <laughs> Dear God. But at any rate, I just feel like, yeah, they could do it. And there's lots of ways that they might do it, but it just isn't important for me for them to try. I, I feel like ultimately, whether they do it or not, I'm not anxious for anymore. I can't imagine that unless, yeah, you when you say Smurfs, I get a chill run down my spine. But yeah, I guess that's the only people that this kind of movie would appeal to if it was made today, right? I mean, the crowd that was our age when we were seeing this, they want disaster porn like Transformers and Man of Steel. They wouldn't go for a nice little film set in a back lot about monsters just causing a little mayhem. Yeah, and I don't think that this could play as a hard PG-13 either. I don't see that I want an intense Lionsgate version of Gremlins either. I just think that, you know, some movies are of their time. They just don't transport beyond it. There couldn't be anything more 80s than Gremlins, and I think that, you know, it's just not the 80s anymore. So guys, that is it for Gremlins and it for 2013. Another huge freaking year for now playing. A record number of times going to theaters. So many weekend of release shows to edit. Well, why not do another one? I, I say let's go. 2014, we're kicking it off. It's out right now. I've been dying to see it. Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, they have teamed up for a fifth time. The Wolf of Wall Street is out. I've read the book. You can already hear my thoughts of books and nachos. And next week, we're going to be covering the movie. But Stuart, I thought you said in our Fright Night 2 podcast you didn't want to keep up with these retrospectives and adding on. <laughs> Funny how that's true when we come to some of your least favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to this movie. This is one of those films that if it wasn't for now playing, I'd still be going and seeing. It really looks highly interesting. And so I'm looking forward to that review next week. And then I'm really looking forward to what we're doing after that. Robocop. Jacob, I know this is a big for you. Favorite movie, right? Yeah, Dead or Alive, I'll be reviewing Robocop. Yeah, Robocop, that first one especially, one of my favorites, definitely in the top five for just all-time movies. And, you know, this is a franchise. It's got so many comic books. It's one that I always am willing to go back to. I think we're doing a TV miniseries again, just like we've done with King. 
I've watched that before. <laughs> I've done it. I've sat through them because I wanted to, not because I had a podcast about them. I did too. Opening night on Sci-Fi, the RoboCop Prime directives. Some claim it's a mini series. Others claim it's four individual movies. That's how we'll be reviewing them. Four individual two-hour movies, and then finally the reboot, which has a great cast and a interesting trailer. I'm fingers crossed. Yeah, who knows? I mean, we've done enough reboots to know that it can go any different way, from being completely useless to well. Better than the original is probably not likely. I know that you guys love it, but you know, it could work. I have not seen any Robocop movie for a very long time, so I'm just anxious to steep myself back in the whole world. I remember really enjoying that vibe that Vorhoven created with the first Robocop. And we got so much more coming out next year. Of course, we'll be doing Stephen King. 20-some-odd adaptations of King's work just out of the Night Shift short story collection. I do not have a lot of positive memories about the Night Shift collection, but God knows, if you're a fan of us covering bad films, 2014 is going to be your year. Happy New Year, bad movie fans. And then we're going to be doing some theatrical stuff this year, too. You can look forward to Captain America the Winter Soldier. We got some good stuff coming in 2014 as well. So thank you all for listening. A reminder, if you want to support our show, just a few more hours. End of New Year's Eve, we put Chucky back in the vault. So if you want to get all six Chucky podcasts, head to nowplayingpodcast.com. Click the banner at the top. Time is running out. And finally, listeners, thank you for another year of being with us as we relive all these movies you know as we look back on 2013 it's been another huge year for now playing i can't believe we've reviewed as many movies as we have more movies in 2013 than we've ever done in a single year before easily doubled the number of theatrical releases that we've done before. Yeah, it was a big year for going to the movies, and yeah, as much Night Shift as we're doing, I think we're still going to be doing a lot once we get to summer. Yeah, so thank you all for listening. Have a happy new year. We'll be back next week. So now, Jacob Stewart, let's get out of here. This place smells like burnt meatloaf. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. But in no sense, civilized. Thank you for joining us for Now Playing's Gremlins Retrospective Series. He's like a lot of people around here. I just want somebody to listen. Especially around the holidays. Be sure to visit us at nowplayingpodcast.com each week for a new movie review podcast. Check it out one time, won't you? Your support helps keep Now Playing on the air. I'll give you $200. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. We need the money. Now, come on, you want it or not? Now playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Well, everybody else is opening up their presents. They're opening up their wrists. Now playing credit narration by Brock. 
Get him off the caffeine, he's okay. The Gremlins films are the property of Warner Brothers, and no infringement is intended. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers or any other creative entity involved with these films. We just show these movies, madam. We don't make them. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. A man can always agree with others. It is more difficult to agree with oneself. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Because of the end of civilization, the Clamp Cable Network now leaves the air. We hope you have enjoyed our programming, but more importantly, we hope you have enjoyed life. I'm going to try something. This probably won't work, but I'm going to try it. You're doing the gizmo voice. I'm going to try it. it later. <laughs> I thought about it. Today, we're discussing Gremlins 2, starring. Is this working at all? <laughs> uh, once you fix it in post. <laughs> I think the unfiltered is like uh, uh There's Pinocchio? no fix in that. In- <laughs> That's more Bobby's world than Gizmo. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm thinking. It's basically the same voice. I'm like, my name is Bobby. It's just Gizmo doesn't use actual words. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to like reduce it to a couple of nouns or something. They would just, yeah, no sentences. <laughs> Daffy and Donald. Not Donald. Bugs and Daffy. Yeah, you're mixing it up. (laughs) (laughs) You will never see Daffy and Donald again. That's our Easter egg Who Framed Roger Rabbit bonus donation (laughs) podcast that we are never doing. (laughs) So many weekend of release shows to edit. Well, why not do another one? I I think because there's a lot of work. (laughs) that's right if you haven't gotten your fill of something little and gruesome cat's eye is going to kick off our 22 podcast retrospective of the night shift stephen king film can i take that cat and put it in a microwave and see if it explodes (laughs) let's see the movie first and see if you'd want to do that but yeah i i predict Many of these movies I'll want to stuff in a microwave and (laughs) nuke it until it explodes. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of who's Harry Crumb. I I don't know. It's the footsies with the crotch. It's something I associate with early 90s, so it didn't seem too shocking. When I was a kid, it probably did seem a little bit more shocking. I don't even think I knew what was going on as a kid, even at 15. At 15? Listen, we were still going hands and vaginas. We hadn't gotten to feet yet. (laughs) No foot fetishes going on. Are you really releasing this? (laughs) Do you really feel like this is the show you want to put out on New Year's Eve? (laughs) Everyone's drunk and partying anyway. (laughs) We know Feldman did. Oh my god, you were cutting that. Oh no, I'm not. He's actually releasing it in an autobiography. Uh, No, a choreography. I saw this. And I'm going to read it, believe me. (laughs) Me too. Want to do a joint books and nachos? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He 
keep in mind, I saw his rock band. I was there opening night for Corey Feldman band. And let me tell you, I've never laughed so hard. I literally thought I was going to pass out. Uh, but back to this movie. Oh, if we must. Is that a female or is that a transvestite? Because I always thought that they were all male. I mean, they're asexual anyway. I really got some gross sodomy vibes off that whole thing. Whoa! (laughs) I I did get the feeling from the commentary that it was supposed to be a transvestite gremlin. As a 13-year-old, I read it as a female, but the way they were talking, they wouldn't come out and say it, but... Yeah, I did get that vibe from how they were talking about it. I, I, I do have one question. If he ejaculates on it, does that make more gremlins? <laughs> My God, really? <laughs> Arnie, what are you trying to release on a New Year's Day? What the f*** are you trying to do? Like I said, they're all going to be drunk. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I really think you need to save that one for ghoulies. <laughs> Maybe troll, but not gremlins. This is, this is a beloved childhood happy movie. childhood movie here. We don't need to be talking about anatomical parts and ejaculate. <laughs> and you didn't like Seed of Chucky. But not for that reason. That was Brock. <laughs> well, on that sticky note, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Gremlins to the new batch? Jacob. So I guess that joke's staying in there. Well, yeah, I really am curious to hear this final edit because uh, there's a show that I thought this was going to be and then the show that it's going to be. Uh, the ejaculate joke stays in the main show. The vagina joke gets bloopered. Uh, the f- I'm not sure if there was a third one in there. Yeah. There's I'm sure a we had a penis that joke too. never be heard ever. They'll be but... heard in the bloopers. People will hopefully enjoy or the send the letters to me as always. Yes, exactly. <laughs> No, I try to compose myself. Okay. Yum, yum.
still lurking about? Don't you people have homes? <laughs>